We are proud members of the Spy Podcast Network. Find out more at www.spypodcasts.com. Secrets and Spies present Espresso Martini. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode five of Espresso Martini. Matt, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. Good to be back. Excellent. Now, the big burning question, how was Bruce Springsteen? He was very good. Uh, 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 I wish if if I'm his age at some point in the future and I can, you know, perform for three hours like that to a whole stadium full of people, it'll be uh, very happy. No, he was, was good. Oh, Ben was good. Good to see him. Oh, cool. Well, excellent. Well, look. Today we have another jam-packed episode. Uh, we're covering January. Well, I say we're covering January. We're really going to be covering February now because so much has happened. But uh, it's sort of January and the beginning of February. And it's, yeah, it's been a busy month in the world of espionage, geopolitics and intrigue, which is our area. So um, we're going to do our best to cover a few topics from this period. And I think the first story, which we would be crazy not to even consider considering, is the uh, Chinese weather balloon. I'm sorry. I mean, Chinese spy Weather balloon. Balloon in air quotes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That caused some panic as it entered U.S. airspace on the 28th of January over Alaska. So let's go into a little bit of detail about this for a moment, and then we'll come into you, Matt. So this. Uh, weather balloon, quotation marks, uh, went on a kind of leisurely whistle-stop tour of the United States. And uh, this balloon was reported being 200 feet tall and carrying an airliner-sized payload of what appears to be surveillance and communication equipment below it. The balloon was operating at heights of above 60,000 feet. And the balloon went on a little tour of a few strategic U.S. sites, including Maelstrom Air Force Base, Minot Air Force Base, and Whitman Air Force Base, just to name a few. And those happen to be the bases where the U.S. government holds most of its nuclear arsenal. <laughs> so uh, the balloon definitely was looking for some interesting sights there. The balloon's journey came to a rather dramatic end when two F-22 fighter jets were scrambled and shot the balloon down off the coast of South Carolina on Saturday the 4th of February. The shooting down of the balloon marks the official first kill for the F-22 fighter jet. And the jets were named Frank 01 and 02 in honor of World War One US fighter ace, First Lieutenant Frank Luke Jr., who was better known as the Arizona Balloon Buster. These guys are now the uh, South Carolina balloon busters, but there we go. <laughs> um, so by the time the balloon had been shot down, it had been over the US and Canadian airspace for about a week, uh, and there's been a fierce debate as to whether the balloon should have been shot down earlier. Um, just quoting a New York Times piece that's just dropped today by Edward Wong, the State Department have said that Chinese surveillance balloons have flown over 40 countries and are directed by the Chinese military. The agency went on to further say that the balloon had multiple antennas in an array that was likely 
capable of collecting geolocating communications. It also has solar panels, which were large enough to produce power to operate multiple active intelligence collection sensors. So it's a pretty good bit of kit. Um, the balloon itself was manufactured by a commercial company that had ties to the People's Liberation Army and the Chinese military. So Matt, um, did, do you have any thoughts on the balloon and did the balloon fly near you at any time? So no, so I, I'll tell you the story how I, how I found out about it. So this was uh, yeah. almost so we were recording this on Thursday, February 9th, right? So at first, I think the news broke about a week ago. It was last Thursday. I was walking into the Sarasota airport in Florida. I had been down there with family for like a week and I had had several drinks over the course of the afternoon. It was about what, like five, six o'clock and walking into the airport. And I see the alerts on my phone, like, you know, Chinese surveillance balloon in US airspace over Montana. And I'm sitting there, like I said, I had a couple drinks over the afternoon and I just tweet back. I'm like, shoot it down. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably good that, you know, like I'm not, I'm, you know, not in the White House after a couple <laughs> drinks. I'm like, yeah, shoot it down. I don't care. Like, you know, um, I, I did delete it later because I thought eh, maybe not. Probably makes sense that we didn't do it. Um, but yeah, it was a fun kind of thing to uh, to sort of follow over most of the week. I mean, mm. I'm not of I wasn't I wasn't, you know, digging a bunker in my backyard over mm. the course of the week. Like it sounds like <laughs> some people were. I mean, there's a I mean, bottom line, I guess. I mean, we can talk about the capabilities and why they did it and stuff. Bottom line is, I, I don't think it, it, it's right to get like personally offended that the Chinese sort mm. of did this, you know, like mm, mm, mm. countries spy on each other, you know, all the time. Like, yeah, they're going to try to do it. We're going to try to stop them. Um, we do it to them too. And that's not, you know, that's not to say that I'm doing like a whataboutism kind of thing. Like, well, actually, you know, we're like, that's not my point at all. I'm saying, being countries like this who are competitors i'll you know won't say adversary it's like competitors at this point you know yeah they 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 spy on each other and they're going to leverage the technology and the assets that they have to do so back in the 2000s a uh was a p3 surveillance plane was forced to oh, land yeah. in, on high yeah. island that's a spy mm. plane that we had that you know had a crash with the chinese fighter pilot and the fighter pilot was killed and george w bush had to write an apology letter to the Chinese to, you know, get the crew released. I mean, throughout the 60s and 70s, we had the SR-71 kind of at the same high altitude on the edge of space, flying over China and the Soviet Union doing these high altitude reconnaissance runs, you know? Um, and nowadays, we, I'm sure, have several black triangles operating out of Nevada, if you catch my trophy, that can do a lot better than the SR-71 did, you know? So it's it's... It's a thing that countries do. And I think if there's a serious greater risk here, it's it's a lot of important US officials who should know better completely acting like jackasses, you know, like going oh, yeah. up and pointing yeah. guns up at the sky. I mean, yeah, yeah it's a joke, har har har, but like conduct yourself a bit better, you know? And mm -hmm. it makes me wonder. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it makes you wonder what's going to happen in this country if at some point in the future the Chinese take out a carrier to the Taiwan Strait. You know, mm. like if we lose our minds, if a segment of the country loses their minds over this, that pose no threat to anyone on the ground whatsoever. Like, what are we going to do if they take mm. out a carrier in the Taiwan Strait? Like, you won't be able to safely operate a Chinese restaurant. 
I can tell you that. That's unfortunate. That's just the reality. You know, mm. like we're going to lose our minds. Yeah, yeah it's um, not good. A bit like after Pearl Harbor, you know. Fortnite 11. Mm. You know? Um, and I think it's, I think like, you know, why did, why did people react? Why did the media react in the way that it did? And I'm reminded of something that, you know, we talked about on the last podcast about COVID, how I don't think people took COVID as seriously or saw it as such a visceral kind of tragedy because it wasn't visible. And in this way, you know, this spy balloon, like you could, you can't look up into a sky, in, into the sky and see a satellite with the naked eye coming over your missile fields. But you can, you could, if you were in the right part of the country, look up and see this. Um, so there's that visual kind of connection that we have that allows us to react in a much more uh, severe way. But um, no, to finish answering your question, it wasn't, it wasn't near me. I mean, it came like what Northwest to Southeast. Now, were you disappointed it didn't come near you? Because I would have been. I would have liked to have seen it. I would have liked to have seen it. I would have liked it. to have it seen it. It would have been cool. It would have been cool. Yeah. I mean, I definitely did. I went on the the that flight radar thing and, and yeah. looked up at see, you know, what was up there. And it's interesting. There were a few uh, KC-135 fueling mm. aircraft that were circling around. And I saw someone be like, you know, why are we just having these refueling aircraft up there? Like, what are they going to do? And I'm like, you know, there's other stuff up there that those aircraft are reporting that don't have their transponders on, you know, like have a little faith that we know what we're doing, you know, mm. Mm. Um, that there are people who know a lot more about this than you do who are making these decisions and just like, you know, step off there, boss. You don't have to solve every problem. Yeah, yeah. Good point about the the jets that are around it. So yeah, I think a lot of people lost their spadoinkle. Is probably the polite way to put it over the balloon. Um, it's. Um, I found it. I don't know. Perversely, I found it slightly entertaining. Um, yeah. It certainly was the highlight of um, the first part of my weekend watching this thing unfold on Twitter and Flight Radar Twenty Four. There was a lot of debate about whether the balloon should be shot down, uh, and and obviously shooting down a balloon with that payload is not as simple as some people think. Um, first of all, you got the danger of falling debris. Uh, as we were saying earlier, this thing was like over two hundred feet, and it had an airliner size um, section underneath it of all the surveillance equipment. It was like three. Three buses, was like it? together, yeah. was sort of the length wow. of the of the of the array, which is you know it's big. Which I think a lot of people also don't get how big this thing was. Yeah, yeah. you know, it was huge. It looked it looked a bit like um, uh, the International Space Station connected to a balloon. <laughs> like to me a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it did look yeah. a bit like that. All the kind of solar yeah. panels on it and what have you. Um, yeah, <laughs> so it was, and the other thing as well, the other thing that crossed my mind, if you start firing missiles into US airspace, even if you do clear it of civilian air traffic, there's still a risk that a missile might misfire and go somewhere it shouldn't, whether yeah. it ends up hitting somebody's house or, or hitting a plane, God forbid. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of sort of, yeah, you can't just go around firing missiles at balloons. So I think they only had a very limited choice of where they could do it. And obviously South Carolina over the sea ended up being the best place for it. Yeah. Tracking the balloon, it sort of cleverly stayed over land as long as possible. So I'm assuming that the Chinese who were somehow steering this thing probably did that on purpose. Uh, <laughs> they figured that the Americans probably wouldn't risk trying to shoot it down. I could be wrong. If you look at the flight path, yeah, it's going from mm. northwest to, to southeast, as you sort of said. Mm. And our intro there crosses over the three primary missile fields the U.S. STRATCOM have, which is run by the 8th Air... No, 
8th Air Force is strategic, is strategic bombers. The 20th Air Force are ICBMs, right? So that's off the top of my head here. I hope I get this right. The 90th Missile Wing, which is at what Warren Air Force Base in Wyoming. Then you have the 91st Missile Wing, which is at, I'm thinking, Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota. And then you have a third, 341st, which is at Malmstrom Air Force Base in Montana, right? Yeah, because so yeah, it ends up at Montana, didn't it? Yeah. Right. Which, I mean, also when you're at the altitude is like 60,000 feet, which I think mm. I saw a figure somewhere the observable range is like over like a huge amount of space that you can see from that area. So, and then you're crossing sort of due southeast over the middle of the country. So you have, uh, this is in the 8th Air Force, the Strategic Bomber Force. Uh, mm. There are B-2s at Whiteman Air Force Base. There's Ellsworth Base in South Dakota that has been once you're basically coming over the whole strategic bomber force. And then where it went, you know, feet wet over the Atlantic, right, by Myrtle Beach, that's about a two-hour drive. So also consider from that altitude and that speed, that's like nothing. That's about a two-hour drive north of Kings Bay, which is the um, East Coast base for our uh, Ohio-class ballistic missile force. So you sort of did, if you look at the flight path, they sort of did like an end run over most operational assets that U.S. Strategic Command has, which is kind of interesting. And then you think, you know, why do, why would the Chinese do this? I mean, I could go, anyone listening to this can go on Google Maps right now and find really high quality imagery of all of those missile fields mm. in that submarine base and stuff. You know, like that's not, mm. that's not a secret. That's not that, you know, sensitive, but this article in the Times that dropped this morning, Chinese balloon had tools to collect communication signals, U.S. says, and it quotes uh, statements from the State Department by Edward Wong at the New York Times. Um, and uh, it, it says it was basically had a lot of uh, signals intelligence collection sort of assets um, on the balloon, which I mean, I'm thinking, again, I don't, I don't, I don't know this, but I'm thinking like, okay, so what could you reasonably expect to get from a balloon that you couldn't from a satellite, which China has, yeah. right? So I'm thinking yeah. some signals that perhaps wouldn't reach as high up into the atmosphere that Chinese satellites could intercept. So like, I mean, these, these, like these missile fields, right? There's one sort of smallest central base, and then you have the rest of it dispersed over like hundreds of square miles. So you have these alert facilities, which is where like the classical idea of like, you know, these two guys sit in bunkers, like right in front of the keys, like ready to go, right? You have those dispersed over hundreds of square miles and each one of those alert facilities oversee a set number of silos. So maybe this balloon was meant to intercept the traffic between the main base mm. and those alert facilities to, over mm. to look at their communication. Again, I'm totally speculating here. I haven't seen that reported anywhere, mm, um, mm, mm. but you know, that could be something that they were looking at. It would make it would make sense to me. Yeah, and I'm assuming. Well, also, I suppose with um, a foreign object or uh, aircraft in U.S. airspace, I'm assuming that certain alert protocols would have been followed that the balloon may be looking for. 
that makes sense yeah yeah so you're looking at like a like a red teaming kind of thing you know where like you mm. test you test the security of it and it's like i think there's been there's been events at the department of energy's facilities like los alamos and stuff um in the past that like uh basically is fought the people testing the security of these facilities and it was thought that china was sort of involved that yeah, to your point, that it's you know testing the the response of um, of uh, NORAD, you know, mm. protecting the integrity of of U.S. and Canadian airspace. Um, they saw this this article here talks about how I think there are what five instances of Chinese surveillance balloons in the past couple of years. Three under the Trump administration. Now this is the second under the Obama yeah. administration and. Previously, they were just categorized as UAP, so unidentified aerial phenomena. And uh, as of yeah. 2020, what was it? The Air Force said it was discovered. It was likely a Chinese surveillance effort. So not not aliens, but the Chinese. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned the the previous three undetected attempts. So the commander of NORAD, General Glenn Van Herc, was cited that there was a domain awareness gap that allowed those balloons to originally penetrate US airspace, which is kind of worrying, really, because it kind of shows a lack of lack of imagination on the part of NORAD and other agencies and a lack yeah. of actionable intelligence. And considering in this sort of post-9-11 world where, obviously, again, lack of imagination played a part in 9-11, that the American um, security services didn't believe that planes, you know, civilian airplanes could be kind of used, hijacked and used as missiles, it is a bit concerning that obviously um, a balloon can go undetected, so because it is only a balloon, mm -hmm. so um, it's not exactly like the the pinnacle of stealth technology. So it is a little bit concerning, um, but it'd be interesting to know what was on the previous balloons and whether the Chinese just incrementally put bigger and more advanced equipment underneath on different runs to see how far sure. they get away with it. A bit like um, when somebody, uh, you know, uh, clones your car, they'll make a couple of small purchases before the big one. Um, so who knows? Who knows on that one? The other interesting thing as well, like the, the argument about keeping the balloon in the sky for a long period of time, it gives the US a chance to scoop up electronic data about the balloon itself. So from what I've read as well, there was a U-2 deployed and flown above the balloon. Yeah. And then there was a, um, a rivet joint, the is it the RC-135 uh, at 30,000 yes. feet below it. So um, I'm assuming that both one above and one below is giving a nice view of what kind of electronic signals are coming yeah. and going from the balloon. We also consider that you have these aerial assets up there looking at it, you know, um, and I'm sure there's a lot on the back end that we're sort of unaware, unaware of. I mean, I can see uh, U.S. Cyber Command being involved, the NSA, in terms yeah. of, you know, blocking the signals to and from China or or activating sort of covert sensors that are embedded inside Chinese systems or to see what the Chinese are saying, sort of back what they're seeing back on their end. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so the thought that, you know, this was just floating over U.S. airspace and we're just sort of just watching it and doing nothing about it is is mm -hmm. quite a big leap. Like there's very little, this thing did nothing that we weren't aware of and probably mm -hmm. in, in control of, you know. No, indeed. You also think, you know, if we did shoot it down, let's say, okay, it's over Montana. Mm. It crosses into U.S. airspace over Montana and we decide to shoot it down. I mean, something of that size, the debris field would be hundreds of miles wide. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you think even a, an object falling from 60,000 feet, that's going to hit the ground going well over a thousand miles an hour. And even mm. a screw 
mm. at that speed can do a lot of damage. Mm. It's a, it's a, it's a, I don't want to say it's a hard decision because if you look at it in totality, it's, it's, it's not, you know, like if we're intercepting these signals, if we're able to observe and learn from it, looking at this thing up close, yep. you know, based on the idea of like, if the air force is there telling the president, no, sir, we cannot guarantee that it won't hit anything on the ground. Okay. Just watch it. And then the minute mm. it goes feet wet over the Atlantic, shoot it down. And that's what we mm. do. Mm, no, indeed. I think that's the right call. One of the things that did stand out for me, I mean, you know, obviously, as we said just earlier, the Chinese probably have satellites for scooping up real juicy data. So it does yeah. it does make me think that this might be more of a symbolic mission. Um, and, you know, it feels like a very bold statement from China. They're yeah. able to get into American airspace um, and hang around for a week, you know. <laughs> um, and the thing is, it has a, I think it has a big effect on the general public. So as we were saying, you know, there's been this sort of hysteria and people saying, well, why don't we just shoot it down all this sort of stuff um and one of the things that foreign adversaries do like to do is to make the citizens of their target country doubt the capabilities and legitimacy of the government of that country yes and so there are a lot of people right now who are you know um saying that president biden was wrong he should have shut it down earlier and also there's talk about whether there are intelligence failures there's a lot of you know a lot of doubt and a lot of seeds of doubt have been sown by this incident which in a way i think plays into china's hands a little bit it does it does i mean i think if there's any uh, honestly i think if there's any downside for the us for the west after this happening it's 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 seeing powerful people in the u.s government make fools of themselves mm. like their hair on fire because of this you know that's the issue you think like okay mm. on a broader scale what did the chinese gain for it i mean so uh secretary of state anthony blinken was supposed to last week go to beijing for i think it was the first in-person meeting that he would have had with the chinese in china um since the biden administration came into office and uh they wisely i think delayed it now, because I mean, there's serious things that we need to discuss with the Chinese that the Chinese want to discuss with us. And I mean, having sort of the whole meeting be about this balloon mm. um, is certainly a, a, a distraction. But yeah, I mean, the Chinese wanted this meeting with Blinken. They lost that. Uh, they lost their balloon. Who knows what we learned about it with their capabilities? Mm. There's very few ways to see this as a win for China other than showing that the Chinese are able to make important people in the U.S. act like maniacs for a week over absolutely nothing. Mm, mm. You know, there's been some talk, you know, like why, then why did the Chinese decide to do it? You know, if they wanted this meeting with, with, with Blinken so bad, why would they do it now? And there was some sort of talk that like, uh, well, maybe, you know, there's a, there's a segment of, of the PLA, the Chinese system that, you know, doesn't sort of want that dialogue with mm. the U.S. And to me, that seems, that seems pretty far-fetched. I mean, China's, Xi Jinping has gone out of his way to stamp out any kind of dissent against him, you know, and it seems yeah far-fetched that that would happen. If it did happen, whoever did is going to be disappeared, you know. If anything, I think it's just more likely that there's 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 segments of the country that are not sort of in tune with the rest. And, you know, wires got crossed and it wasn't coordinated very well, which mm -hmm. if you look at their response to to COVID recently suggests that, yeah, these guys aren't as infallible as as some would like to think. Indeed, indeed. 
One um, interesting thing with this balloon incident, it's sort of part of a, a kind of concerning and ongoing pattern of the Chinese government's espionage activities. Um, over the last few weeks, a few stories have broken in the UK involving uh, suspected Chinese surveillance efforts that were probably <laughs> a bit better than this balloon. Um, and uh, you know, one in one instance in particular, it was the first. It was a there was a story published in the Daily Mail about um, the UK Ministry of Defence launching an investigation after reports suggesting that the UK's nuclear secrets could have been put at risk by an old Wi-Fi contractor who provided mm. Wi-Fi on uh, 46 British military bases. And this company was called Mediaforce, and it was owned by a Chinese company. Um, and honestly, I mean, if you are providing the Wi-Fi network for top-secret nuclear facilities, uh, it's yeah. a great way to get data from people, much better than the balloon. And it went on for three yeah. years. It went on for three years. Um, yeah. And one of the bases is the Northwood headquarters, which hosts oh. the NATO Allied Maritime Command, as well as the UK's nuclear deterrence at sea. Um, that's basically where our submarines are controlled from. Yeah. Um, so that is shocking. When I read when I read that, I was I was shocked because you would hope that people in the procurement departments of the Ministry of Defence would kind of investigate these kind of things and take this stuff seriously. Yeah. We had a whole thing about Huawei, I think it was last year or the year before now, um, and the UK government stripped out any kind of Chinese components to any 5G technology in the UK because there were security concerns over it. But like uh, this whole Wi-Fi story has just shocked me to the core a little bit because that's, you know, that's serious stuff, the nuclear deterrent at sea. And I mean, three years of surveillance on, on all these bases the Chinese must know an awful lot now um, if if they were responsible, which, yeah. which they, you know, the Chinese government undoubtedly were because um, Chinese companies have a kind of uh, a legal obligation to um, to assist the Chinese government in security matters. Um, and there was a second story that broke as well where Chinese tracking devices were found in a UK government car. This, this device was a geolocating device that was placed in a sealed compartment of the car and um and this this section was actually supplied by a chinese company um and installed by the vehicle's manufacturer without their knowledge and this you know and this car was carrying kind of government ministers and diplomats around the country and it gives again the opportunity for the chinese to sort of study the patterns of certain politicians and what they do at certain times and so on and so forth and and again so this is going on the chinese are, are very good at what they're doing um and i'm assuming that we're only um we're only kind of uh scraping the surface of some of the activities that are going on i don't know if you have any thoughts on any of those bits i just mentioned yeah it makes you think about the stuff that you should be concerned about mm. like this stuff as opposed mm -hmm. to you know the balloon which mm. is a concern but it was it was it was handled it was addressed we knew about it um that yeah, I mean, you have these sort of big macro collection efforts, you know, like like TikTok as well, yeah. you know. TikTok, yeah. There's been a lot of concern about I mean, the idea that like so ByteDance, the company that that controls TikTok, there's concern if 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 the Chinese government has access to the data that that they collect. Um, and I mean the idea that there's sort of any real separation now between a company in China and the Chinese government is sort of laughable. 
you know, whatever the Chinese government wants access to, they're going to get access to a Chinese company. There's been, you know, thoughts that, you know, should, should TikTok be, be banned in the U.S. for that, for that reason, or should the data on U.S. customers, on, on U.S. TikTok customers be stored separately and sort of a walled mm-hmm. off, you know, like with Oracle, a U.S. company. Um, there's been talk about that. Uh, and yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, legitimate concern it makes you think that like these much larger efforts that do glean serious sensitive information mm. like the wi-fi at at, at 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 northwood it's a lot quieter and it's, it's a lot more long term and it's stuff that we rarely hear about and it's it's those mm. efforts that mm. probably glean the most damaging information for the chinese yeah indeed but what is um well just to your point about the about TikTok, I mean there was a report from Reuters that TikTok admitted to using its app to spy on reporters in an effort to track leaks from within the organization. And the data was accessed by employees of ByteDance, which is the Chinese owner of TikTok. And they were using the app to track the reporters' physical movements to see if they matched up with any employees from TikTok. And you know, and they could just do that. Um, yeah. with, with a flick of a switch. And so if they want to, they can. It's just yeah. down to whether they choose to or not, really, with that technology. Yeah, it's it, it, it makes it impossible for American executives who work for TikTok to go up to Capitol mm. Hill and testify to Congress saying, like, this is completely above board and there's no, you know, you don't have to be worried about sort of, you know, the Chinese looking at this data. It's all totally cool. Like it's it's a it's a serious it's a serious issue, you know. Um, mm. But do you want to have the Chinese government with this kind of access uh, to to U.S. data to the you know everyday lives of of U.S. and U.K. citizens? Then the question is, should World TikTok be banned? I mean, I think it's a different question of should it and will it? You know, should it be banned? Mm. The Chinese should definitely not have access to that data, you know. So I think the more happier outcome is it gets that that data gets sort of offloaded to a U.S.-based company like Oracle, which is sort of what was talked about a couple of years ago when the Trump administration tried to ban it. But I think the issue that there's there's also it complicates things because there's so much money involved in in TikTok on the U.S. side. I mean, I think that's going to be. A trillion dollar company in a couple of years. I mean, it's a it's a fantastic product for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's a, that's the thing that 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 makes it so dangerous because it's so addictive. Yeah, it's it's dangerous because it's such a fantastic product. Well, this is it, and, it, and it, if anything, it's part of a wider pattern of a lot of technology that we've allowed into our lives over the years without really questioning it because it's convenient or it's sure. fun um you know with, uh people have talked about the uh, amazon alexa we've mm-hmm. got obviously you know a lot of our components of our phones and probably even the technology i'm using right now is made in china um yeah maybe there's some i mean i'm not i'm not an engineer but if i took a phone apart maybe i might find something in one of the devices there's some like backdoor way that they can somehow yeah. monitor i mean wouldn't that be brilliant if if the chinese government could like literally hack every iphone manufactured i mean imagine what kind of data they would scoop up that way yeah um and this is i'm not just saying that they have done it i'm not saying that they haven't it's just interesting if there's a possibility they could because iPhones are manufactured in China as are most Android phones other than probably Samsung phones that I think are made in South Korea they're certainly owned by a South Korean company but well here's a here's a, here's a thought for you mm. because of these concerns of privacy surveillance by Chinese companies the Chinese government you've seen a concerted effort in recent years 
for these big companies like Apple to diversify its supply chain away from the Chinese market into places like Mexico or India, right? You've seen uh, over the summer, the Biden administration signed the CHIPS Act, which essentially, and this is so under underreported, essentially decimated the sort of domestic Chinese semiconductor industry, right? In an effort mm -hmm. to sort of repatriate the production of semiconductors away from Taiwan back into the United States. And the end result is of, of these efforts is it's 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 not said, but we're doing this in order to make a potential conflict with China more survivable. You know, like our economy won't as won't be as severely damaged because we're not as closely intertwined. We're not reliant on uh, the Chinese and Taiwanese marketplaces to develop these chips, develop our iPhones and stuff. The, the downside with that is, is when you make a conflict more survival, you inherently make it more likely to occur. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like we didn't go to war with the Warsaw Pact because it was not survivable. It was determined to be not survivable. That's deterrence. Mm. You know, we mm. are as reluctant to go to war with China or fight any kind of a hot conflict with China because our economies are so intertwined, it would be so disastrous for both of us. Mm. That's deterrence. Mm. And if you unlink that, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know, if you if you unlink those economies to the point that it is more, so yeah, we can fight a war with China and we can still kind of keep our economy humming. You make it more likely that that we will have a conflict. You know. Yeah, and that's concerning. That's very concerning. So, um, moving away from uh, Chinese espionage efforts, um, I want to quickly, briefly touch upon another story that uh, broke in January about the Israeli drone attack against an Iranian military factory in the city of Isfahan. So, the New York Times ran a piece dated the 29th of January that looked at the attack on the facility, which is reportedly a major center in Iranian missile research and production. The attack came weeks after US government's officials named Iran as the primary suppliers of drones to Russia's war in Ukraine. And the strike also coincided with the US Secretary of State Anthony J. Blinken and CIA Director William J. Burns' visit to Israel. So, um, Matt, this is sort of your area. So what are your thoughts on this? It's it's the most kinetic covert action that we've seen taken against the Iranians. I mean, certainly since Qasem Soleimani, the commander of the Quds Force, was killed uh, mm. at the beginning of 2020. Um, to my knowledge, the most aggressive action that the Israelis have taken against Iran in quite a long time. I mean, there's been a campaign of assassinations and other acts of sabotage against the Iranians for years, you know, like the famous cases mm -hmm. of these magnetic bombs being placed on the side of a nuclear scientist's car by a guy on a motorcycle and yeah. it speeds off and explodes. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to me to see that they used drones, mm. you know, again, it's something about it being an attack, being visible, more visible and in your face. It is the more sort of dangerous and outrageous. It seems, I, I don't, I don't know why that is, but anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's, and I think, you know, now that you have Bini Netanyahu and his government back in power, uh, the most, the most right-wing government Israel has has ever the most right wing and and nationalistic government that um, 
Israel has seen in a very long time, I think it's it's more likely that you'll see stuff like this. You know, I mean, it's sort of been mm. the policy of the Israeli right for at least over a decade, you know, to to try to force the U.S. into taking military action against the Iranian nuclear program. The thought has been that the Israelis, they can hit Iran's nuclear program, they can set it back several years, you know, they can make it harder for them to advance, but they can't wipe it out, you know. In many ways, you know, we can't either. I mean, there's a, a, a famous line, and I don't know if it's famous, I know it pretty well, uh, in, in Tom Clancy's Some of All Fears, where it's talking about the production of a nuclear bomb, and it says, what's the work of geniuses the first time is the work of Tin Smith the second. You know, we say that once you have the knowledge of how to build a nuclear weapon, you can't erase that knowledge from someone's brain. You know, like it, it's just, it's out there and they know how to make this stuff now. You can't undo that, you know? Um, so yeah, the, the Israelis can, can, can sit it back. They can be a nuisance. They can hinder the Iranians, but they can't erase the threat and then Iranian nuclear weapon completely. We could. You know, which is I sort of think has been the policy of Netanyahu the couple of times that he's been in power over the last decade to, you know, start an issue, start a crisis with Iran that then we're forced to come in and, and clean up um, for them. It's it's pretty cynical, I think. You know, the question is, OK, yeah, so this is a, 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 a drone plant. And of course, you know, we know that. Uh, the Iranians have been supplying tons of drones uh, to the to the Russians to use in, in in Ukraine. I think the Iranians are producing some of these drones now inside Russia. Um, they've opened opened factories there to more easily facilitate this. And so was mm-hmm. was sort of this done by the Israelis with a wink and a nod of the CIA and their covert action staff. It's been definitely been quarterbacking a lot of mysterious fires and explosions inside Russia. So is this part of that, or is this sort of something um, that the Israelis decided to do separately? Uh, interesting, interesting thing to consider there. It is, it is. I mean, you know, just thinking about you talk about uh, Netanyahu, kind of with the strategy, sort of forcing America to kind of get into things. I know he had a very contentious relationship with President Obama, mm-hmm. um, and they were not fans, and it could well be that. Another interesting thing as well is obviously the U.S.-Iranian um, nuclear talks are still ongoing, but there's a feeling that there's going to be it's going to end in failure. Yeah, and that may mean that the U.S. will become more reliant on Israel to provide intelligence and potentially to contain Iran's nuclear program. Um, in the future and so we may or may not start to see more kind yeah. of covert action or overt action like this that Iran's always been quite a contentious country and obviously right now there's some serious human rights you know abuses going on with protesters being executed that's really fired up people um, on both sides of the political spectrum and it's certainly uh painted I don't know it's an interesting time four things because it kind of i mean the only way to resolve the iran nuclear program is probably taking something out of george bush's playbook and regime change which is definitely not a good idea no (laughs) but you can see you can see the logic but it's a bad idea yeah i could give you uh many hundreds of thousands of words explaining why that's a very bad idea to attempt that (laughs) yeah and do you think Um, somebody's going to be stupid enough to consider it 
because um, because it certainly feels like Netanyahu might be uh, hedging his bets a little bit, considering with what we're saying about the human rights abuses are going on, and then the Iran nuclear talks potentially going to fall apart. It kind of creates a interesting ripe fertile ground for those kind of that kind of thinking there will always be people stupid enough to consider regime change in iran mm. i mean mm. so long as so long as that regime is in place um there'll be people who think that that's a good idea and it's it's trust me when i say it would be horrific to try to do such a thing you know um will will that regime be there forever probably not no regime lasts forever. Um, will it be brought down by our hands? No. No. I can just tell you, no. You know, we won't do it. And that's just the reality. I mean, at the same point, you know, you have yeah, say you have them racing towards this breakout capability, which is, you know, sort of like the Iranians have the capability to build a nuclear bomb. And if they decide to do so. They could uh, they could build one within you know um, a set amount of time. You know my uh, the, my series of novels. The first one has been out for a couple of years. Active Measures. Um, one of the big plot points in in the first book and continuing into, in, into the second is that a sort of secret, very uh, closed off sort of pilot nuclear program is discovered to be undertaken by the Quds Force, which sort of the idea is that they're going to quietly build a a small nuclear weapon um based on a on a on a russian suitcase basically for lack of a better term that the entire sort of rest of the iranian defense establishment was is 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 unaware of you know sort of cutting out that breakout ability down to you know like a couple weeks um yeah, it's a it's a serious concern, and you know, could this could could we have a conflict with Iran over this stuff? Yeah, we 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 could. I hope not. Mm. Um, but mm. you know, having Netanyahu and his government back in power does certainly not decrease the likelihood of this happening and worse mm. happening in the future. I've always felt if there were an open conflict with Iran, I just don't think it would end well for Israel because it's such a small country that all it would take is. A couple of nuclear weapons lobbed in its direction. That's it, really. I mean, obviously, the Iron Dome might be able to intercept stuff, but yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. I mean, that's sort of been the inherent fear that the Israelis have had because their country is so small. To your point, yeah, a couple of nuclear weapons and the fallout could just decimate the whole area. I mean, the 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 conventional threat to Israel from from Hezbollah, from a lot of the Palestinian groups inside Gaza. Um, are not to sort of be understated either. I mean, the capabilities that Hezbollah has on, on Lebanon's northern border could lob thousands of missiles and mortars and artillery into uh, into um, Israeli territory and could just make life on the ground pretty much intolerable for a while. Um, it would mm. it would take a long time for the Israelis to sort of degrade Hezbollah's ability to sort of strike inside Israel. If an actual war, and if there is an actual hot war with Iran, you'll see Hezbollah mobilize completely and attack from the north and uh, the Palestinian groups, um, Hamas to some lesser extent, or sort of their own kind of separate um, thing coming in from the south. It would it would be a complete it would be a complete mess, complete mess. Yeah. 
So one best avoided. Let's hope. Let's hope yes. uh, wiser minds prevail. But we'll, we will see. <laughs> Might be a future episode on on wiser minds not prevailing. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> well, look. Um, shall we move on to our final topic of the day, which is a uh, German spy scandal? There seems to be a few of these lately. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Back in back in December, German authorities arrested a serving BND officer for being a Russian spy. The BND is German's foreign intelligence service and Germany's equivalent of the CIA or Britain's MI6, or if you're a purist, SIS. Um, <laughs> in January, this officer was publicly named as 52-year-old Carson and Linker. Um, and Linker was a respected member of the BND where he oversaw units for spying on foreign communications, which seems to be a bit of a theme today, um, and internal security. Um, he's a bit like the a bit like British um, Cambridge spy Kim Philby. Linke was tipped to become a senior official within the BND or his organization. Interestingly, it's been reported that he may have had political leanings towards Germany's far-right alternative party, the AFD, who hold NATO responsible for Russia's war on Ukraine, and they demand immediate peace talks with Russia. So if this is the case, it looks like ideology was definitely a factor in Linke becoming a mole for Russians. Um, yeah. But it might not be the sole factor. There might be something else there too. Um, and he apparently used a courier. It was a, a, a Russian-born German businessman who's known as Arthur E, who Linke actually met at a barbecue that he was hosting for the football club where he was the football coach. Uh, so this is, I don't know why it doesn't feel very John LeCarri-ish, but... It's quite quite a good place to meet uh, potential uh, spies at the barbecue, um, and this German businessman Arthur E would act as courier, and he would take these secrets that he'd been given, all these classified materials, and take them to the Russian FSB on quote unquote business trips. So it'd be interesting to know what how that those secrets were stored. I guess probably on a maybe on a thumb drive or something. I suppose if you're not suspected, you could probably get away with walking around with thumb drives and not really going around detected. Um, yeah, there's a lot that on. Yeah. So Matt, do you have any thoughts on on this topic? Because it's quite an interesting story. It sounds to me, I mean, especially like if he was you know sort of in line to be a, a higher official up in the BND, it sounds a lot like a German source Merlin. You know. Yeah. Yeah. From Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. Uh, that's sort of what I got from it. And the sort of thing that comes that I come back to whenever we look at one of these stories is there's more of this going on than we would like to believe. Mm -hmm. The Russians made a bet or calculation a long time ago that Western society is sort of just decadent and corrupt and fat and weak, and that we don't want to win as much as they do, you know, and that they can by whoever they want, you know, and uh, and we'll be sort of powerless to stop it. And, you know, until they until they marched on Kiev a year ago, I would assume that they were correct, you know, um, and, uh, you know, for for whatever reason, they they were not or they they just went too mm. far. There is there is a lot of this going on. Um, what's what's sort of concerning to me is that the, you mentioned this possible ideological motives if he's sort of a supporter yeah. of the AFD, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of reporting and and rumblings about Russian intelligence supporting uh, the European far right, and I mean it's I think yeah. it's been really hard to nail down the extent to which they are, and I know libel laws and such are are different over there that it's it's difficult to sort of go around accusing people of being a Russian asset, 
um, unless you really have the goods on them, you know. Um, but yeah, this. Yeah, there's been a couple of lawsuits here um, involving um, Russian links to the Brexit campaign right. and so on. Um, right. And uh, in fact, that case uh, went out in the favour of the journalist in the end. So, uh, um, and I've completely forgotten all the names of people involved at the moment. Well, there's a whole there's a whole cottage industry of, of attorneys and PR people in in London and elsewhere in New York. The sort of you know, yeah, work for these oligarchs and these other figures that just their job is to just silence anyone who sort of speaks out against them. The fact that they're using the Western system to subvert it in a way is, is particularly gross to me, you know, like you're trying mm. to destroy mm. the decadent West, yet you're sending your kids to boarding schools in Switzerland and vacation in the Riviera. Um, it's, it's all very gross, but, but yeah, that potential connection to AFD is is what sort of sticks out to me is that's 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 concerning yeah i've always been fascinated by because obviously russia i've said this before russia presents itself at the moment as the savior of the white christian world and so it attracts a lot of far-right people and weirdly somehow russia still attracts far-left people too um and uh Famously, just the other day on uh, was it on Twitter, Roger Waters was uh, trending um, for his pro-Russia stance on Ukraine um, and various other Kremlin talking points and blaming it on NATO expansionism and what have you. Um, but I'm always fascinated by people like Roger Waters who I thought would be horrified by some of the domestic policies of Russia if he critically thought about it, like the, the way they treat the LBGQ plus community, uh, even to some extent some minorities yeah. and so on. Um, you know, it's and, and their domestic surveillance laws, I mean, are far more draconian and worse than anything in the US or, or UK. Um, yet you barely hear any uh, from any Snowden supporter or anything like that or Assange supporter. You don't really hear anybody talking critically about Russia's domestic privacy laws and what have you. Um, so I've always found it quite fascinating. So it, it reminds me a little bit, we spoke about a British security guard who got arrested at the German embassy last year who also had links to the far right and far right leaning. So it seems to be, it was once communism was the ideology that was in vogue with Russia, but it definitely now is the far right ideology, I think, the overriding thing that's appealing to people. And um, controversially, I suppose I would say that, you know, we've seen law enforcement does seem to attract people with far-right leanings. Um, so there could be a potential for a lot of um, people sympathetic to Russia within the ranks of various intelligence services. And in fact, the head of, was it New York's counterintelligence at the FBI, was just recently arrested for links to a Russian oligarch? And I've completely forgotten his name. Charles McGonagall. He was a special agent Charles in charge yeah. of the. He was a special agent in charge of the counter the counterintelligence division at the New York field mm. office. Mm. Um, I, I I read that charging document when I was when I was in Florida last week because I'm weird and that's what I do on vacation. Um, that just sounds like another case of just sort of just just money and just greed. You know, mm. I mean, he was working for um, mm. Oleg Deripaska. Uh, oligarch who's been sanctioned here in the U.S., very close with Putin. Um, yeah, I, I think it just goes back to that, 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 that case just goes back to that sort of calculus set that the Russians made a while ago that, you know, you're all sort of corrupt and useless and we can buy whatever we want and you won't stand up to us. Mm. And, and mm. yeah, I would have said they were right until they tried to march on Kiev. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's interesting. Well, I think, Matt, I think we'll we'll wrap up at the moment. Unless there's anything else you want to add, anything we talked about. No, that's good. I feel like there's always so much that we miss, you know, like every month. Mm. There's just too much. We could easily go for another hour at least. Oh, totally, totally. I know. It's a, yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? We'll definitely... um think about getting more episodes done mm-hmm. i think in the near future because uh trying to cover uh yeah espionage geopolitics and intrigue over on a monthly basis is quite hard because there's so many fascinating juicy stories and then suddenly something new comes along uh, like the spy balloon and then it completely changes what you think would be the the topics um for discussion so yep. so uh yeah there'll be some links to potentially some other things that we didn't cover today but you had this ongoing thing in the u.s where um there's been attack on tax on power cables linked to far-right groups and anti-government groups um i don't know if you have any thoughts on that because that's that's been an ongoing thing that still seems to be happening yeah there's a guy in montana who got um and his girlfriend i believe were were charged with that um mm. that's a thing that's just feels very spooky you know i mean there's been several mm. there's one in north carolina there's been several attacks on on substations over the past uh several years and and it's sort of not really known who is behind it you know i mean there was like the uh also um you heard of the georgia guidestones yes yes they were totally trashed weren't they yeah i mean it was sort of a weird they were made up in sort of far right circles to be this sort of like mm. a satanic sort of monument new world order thing they're not it's like the local sort of that local area in georgia um sort of a local kind of touristy kind of thing right it's not you know like a satanic thing that like they wanted it to be was it trying to be like stonehenge in georgia or something? Well, right that's sort of what they should yeah. have made it out to be um mm-hmm. but uh and um last year someone in the middle of the night blew them up um and sort of unknown who did it i mean the guy who on january 6th is on a surveillance camera placing a pipe bomb outside the democratic national committee we have no idea who that was. He's still out there. Uh, mm. It's it's weird. You know, we're not the FBI isn't for you know First Amendment civil rights, and there's good reasons behind it. Um, not nearly able to confront domestic terrorism the same with the same ease that they're able to confront if it was you know uh, Al Qaeda or ISIS or you know Chinese spies. I mean, there's all sorts of efforts that we could bring to bear on the people to stop them because. They're American citizens and, you know, operating uh, until they try to take action, operating under the protection of the First Amendment. Um, the FBI kind of has their has their hands tied. And I think there's always a a um, there's definitely a bias there inside law enforcement um, and 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 the intelligence services that because it's it's, you know, largely white christian men who have these beliefs that you're more hesitant to take action against them i mean you couldn't tell me on january 6th mm-hmm. that if it weren't you know thousands of muslims marching on the capitol there would be bodies all over the mall you know like there's no way there's no way they would have gotten inside you know if they were if those were isis supporters marching on the capitol they'd all be dead mm-hmm. you know but because they're Largely middle class, you know, white people from Ohio and stuff, they're treated differently. You know, it's just, mm. that's just how it is. Mm. 
Yeah, and it's that religious angle too that um, fascinates me. Um, and I, there's definitely something I want to, a podcast I want to do on that at some point. The, yeah. the Christianity, because um, I remember, I remember years just when Trump got elected. Um, I remember being, I was filming a, a, it was the last wedding I ever filmed. I used to be a wedding videographer um, part-time at uni and occasionally I'd get the odd um, gig turn, uh, just suddenly present itself. And my last ever uh, wedding videography job was um, just as Trump was elected. I remember being, filming the uh, service in a Catholic church and there was a Catholic magazine, which I'm assuming was American finance, I could be wrong there, that was celebrating Trump um and him coming into power and i was just um and uh, i personally was quite disgusted by that considering how trump came to office take aside the russian interference just the the values that trump espoused the Um, uh, treatment of women and so on and so forth and i and and yet he has a lot of christian support and i find that really hypocritical um, and I've never quite understood, um, I'll call it this way, and I forgive it, the American Christianity, because it seems to lead to people, you know, um, buying AR-15s and putting Bible quotes on them and so on and so forth. It's just bizarre. Yeah. Um, people, it's very different from the Church of England. <laughs> people get people get angry when we talk about this um, mm. on the podcast. But oh, it's, yes, uh, it was a one-star um, review. Recommend that, was Yeah, we're going to get a few of those, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, you just hate Trump. Um, no, it's, it's, it's just, it's just nationalism, you know, it's just nationalism that they try to use Christianity as a way to make it seem more polite. Yeah. You know, to, to, that has a, has a nicer face to it. But when you look at it, Mm, I mean, mm, mm. there's nothing that there's very little that Jesus taught in the Bible that is that you know tracks with what these people believe and what they want to do you know mm. yeah they believe mm. in in freedom unless you're not a you know a, a, a straight white male anyway <laughs> <laughs> on that one star comment from matt there we'll probably wrap up yes. before we get kicked yes. off uh, <laughs> off uh, apple podcast or whatever <laughs> Feel free to yell at me. Sorry, okay. you could yell at me too. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! But um, well, Matt, uh, any what are your plans for the month ahead? Anything exciting on the horizon for you? Uh, I um, want to just kind of keep keep working. You know, I got um, the 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 novel, the second part of Active Measures that I've been working on a bit uh, this year so far, and that's really coming along. Um, I want to have this super secret screenplay that you know a bit yes. about um uh that um I, I need to get need to get back into that too i was going to send out a few emails this afternoon in regards to research surrounding that screenplay yeah excellent uh, yeah uh, what about what about you well i finally subscribed to apple tv um because i was watching uh, shrinking the the new show of harrison ford um because i really weirdly enjoy shows about psychologists as much as I enjoy films and shows about writers so <laughs> that's so that's my thing um but I'm, that means now I'm finally going to be able to watch Slow Horses so I'll probably make a, a real effort to finally watch Slow Horses properly after the first two episodes that I've seen I have yet to finish the second season which now I should probably just start it over again because it's not that long I don't think and maybe we'll do that for a, for a show we both have had a chance to to look at it yeah let's compare notes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
that'd be good. That'd be good because it's a very popular show of uh, certain spy fans that we're connected yeah. to. So I just binged the first season of White Lotus. I was way behind on that. Oh, Heard a lot of th- yeah. good things about the second season, so I watched the first season. That show has absolutely nothing to do with what we talk about on this podcast. But no, I just no. I just finished it recently. Well, neither the string king, so no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still a good show um i highly recommend it um so that's it so everybody thank you very much for listening matt thank you for joining me matt where can listeners get hold of your book and find out more about you um i am on twitter uh at uh, fulton matt f-u-l-t-o-n-m-a-t-t and um my website is mattfulton.net where you can find links to the book uh couple sample chapters and the uh prologue for active measures part two uh is up there as well excellent and if anybody's listening you can still follow secrets and spies on twitter just go to secrets and spies um i've also just joined sproutable which is a new potential alternative to twitter we'll see how that goes i'm also (laughs) at secrets and spies on sproutable um and we have a youtube channel please subscribe to that youtube channel um so yeah that's just also um at secrets and spies or just type in secrets and spies podcast to youtube and you can find the videos on there and all it is is just um the our voices with a squiggly line so um, we haven't really gone into the world of video podcasting just yet i'm still you guys don't want to look at us you don't you don't want to look at us you're not missing especially me today with my hat on (laughs) winter gear (laughs) so yeah i might have to put in some effort if we do it on video i don't know but anyway (laughs) i don't feel like yeah i think i think the video podcasting i don't know i mean personally uh, unless it looks amazing because it's the filmmaker of me I feel like just people on their webcams yeah. just don't look that entertaining yeah. and I find personally I find video weirdly I, I want to listen to it for less time than I do just pure audio I don't know why that is um, right. I don't know if it's psychological or what but um, yeah. well you can do other things mm. yeah, yeah. You know, as you're listening to a podcast yeah. you can do whatever if you're looking at something I have to be sort of looking at the screen mm. you know yeah so so yeah i'm not not really I might, I might do some video specials at some point but uh but yeah i'm not not planning anything just yet with video so um everybody thank you so much for listening and uh take care of yourselves and we'll be back next month thank you thanks for listening this is secrets and spies